1: He had severe back pain. He he had physical issues. He was emotionally distraught. Spiritually, he had no joy. He would write in one of those psalms, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He had no witness. After he repented, he said, Now I'll teach transgressors your ways. He had no witness. Here's a man after God's own heart that failed miserably and then kept it hidden. It cost him greatly and it cost his family greatly.
0: It didn't have to happen. Sin affects everyone, always has. Today, Pastor Danny's going to share the origin of sin in this world, taking you all the way back to the first book of the Bible. And from there, he'll tell you about more and more great people who fell short of perfection but God still shows mercy, as you'll see again and again. And now, for you who is also sinned, there's mercy too. There's a new life waiting for you, all thanks to what God's Son did for you on the cross. Are you ready to accept mercy from God? Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Genesis chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. To every nation
1: First husband on the planet Here's the question Where are you? And he answered I heard you in the garden And I was afraid Because I was naked So I hid And he said Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree That I commanded you not to eat from? Now that's a pretty That's a question you can understand (laughs) Have you eaten from the tree That I told you not to eat from? And the man said First husband Here's his answer The woman you put here with me (laughs) She gave me some fruit from the tree And I ate it it never gets old. Every time I go through, and every no matter how many times you've been through it with me, you're still laughing. Because you go, what an answer. The woman. It's her fault. But listen, he's not just blaming his wife, he's blaming God. The woman you gave me. You gave me the wrong one. If you would have given me the right woman, this would never happen. And now I'm stuck with her. You married us. And I know you want divorces. Now, before we start throwing darts too, too much at the man, keep reading. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent. Serpent deceived me, and I ate. Both of those answers are attempted cop-outs. What's God looking for? He's looking for a confession. Not it's her fault. Not it's the devil's fault. No. What did you do? What did you do? You're right. No buts. No excuses. I mean, my goodness, (laughs) they're in paradise. You can't blame it on their environment. (laughs) If you keep going to the right, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. A whole generation of Israelites have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They would not mature in faith, They kept grumbling, complaining, so they never experienced the blessings of the promised land. Now, Joshua is leading them. The first stop in the promised land is Jericho. Um, God says to them, chapter 6, verse 18, very specifically, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Uh, These Things he's talking about, any of the valuables, the gold, the silver, uh, the jewelry, the clothing, whatever it is. Now, there's a principle there. God gets the first fruits. That's why God said, Look, that stuff's mine because God always gets the first fruits, at least he should. All right, that's the principle. Uh, You look in chapter 7, and what happens in chapter 7 is God gives them the victory in Jericho, and then they send just Basically, a small number of men compared to what they had in Jericho for AI. And they get their tails whipped in AI. And people died. And Joshua is down on his face before the Lord. Lord, what in the world's going on? And God says, Get up, get up. Not a time to pray, time for action. Verse 11, chapter 7 Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things, they've stolen, they've lied, they've put them with their possessions. Now, the chapter opens telling us who did it. It was Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah. And if you read it carefully, you'll understand that his his whole family was a part of it. They took some of the devoted things, hit him. He hit him in his tent. But he thinks he's gotten away with it. He thinks nobody knows. God knows. So verse 13, chapter 7, go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, that which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. And God tells Joshua, you have them next morning stand together with their clan, with their tribe, with their family. Now, you got a whole, basically a day now, and you wonder what Achan is thinking. You wonder what his family is thinking. And what he should have done, what he should have done is he should have gone to Joshua and said, I'm the one. It's me. It's my family. I've sinned. And I think if he would have done that, God would have done exactly what he talks about in 1 John and other scriptures as well. He would have forgiven him. It would have been restored. But he doesn't come forth. He doesn't come forth. He he spins that wheel and, and plays Russian roulette with his own soul and with his family. Verse 16, early the next morning Joshua had Israel come forward tribe by tribes and Judah was taken. You wonder if Achan's getting nervous. The clans of Judah came forward and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was taken. By this time if I'm Achan I'm shaking. Joshua had his family come forward man by man and Achan son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to God. That means in that culture give glory to God on up. Come clean because you're caught. You're caught, dude. Tell me what you've done. And Achan said, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. But it was too late. Now he's caught. And he and his whole family were literally destroyed because he would not own up to his sin. If you keep going to the right, past 2 Samuel, stop at 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, the Arameans are raiding Israel, and one band actually captured this Israeli girl, brought her back, and she becomes the slave, basically, of a man named Naaman. Naaman uh, is a mighty warrior in the Aramean army, and he's he's well-known. He's got a reputation as a mighty warrior, but he's got leprosy. Well, this Israeli girl uh, says to her master, his wife, Naaman's wife, uh, if your servant would just go to Israel, the prophet in Israel is there, and God God can heal him of his leprosy. So he goes and gets permission. He takes with him some money, thinking he's got to pay the prophet to be healed, Uh, and he goes to Elisha's house. When he gets to Elisha's house, Elisha is led by the Lord not even to come out and meet him. Because one of the issues he has is pride. And if he's going to really receive from the Lord, there's going to need to be some humility. And uh, he gets all in a huff because Elisha won't come out and meet him. And he goes off in a huff like, you know, I'm a great man. The guy won't even come out and talk to me. And his servants finally are brave enough that some of his men uh, say, well, if he'd have told you something really difficult to do, wouldn't you have done it? And he said, well, of course I would. I'm a mighty warrior. I mean, that's what he's thinking. And they said, well, he told you something pretty simple, and here's what God told Elisha to tell him to do. Go down to the Jordan, dip seven times, and after the seventh time, you'll be cleansed. And basically, his men say, why don't you give it a shot? And he goes down to the Jordan, and the seventh dip, he is, he is totally cleansed of his leprosy. He goes back to Elisha. He's so thankful. He wants to pay Elisha. Elisha won't take the money. Pick it up with me if you're there. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 20. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, probably the guy that went out and talked to him the first time, said, God says, go down, dip seven times in the Jordan. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramian, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I'll run after him and get something from him. Now let me summarize what happens for the sake of time. He goes after him, catches up with him. Naaman sees him, uh, gets off his, his ride and says, hey, everything Okay. Oh, everything's fine. But right after you left, some young men from the school of the prophets showed up. Young Christian college students. You got anything you could help them out with? And Naaman's, of course, very anxious. He went, where? He went, of course, here. And he gives them all this stuff for what's supposedly for the, the, the young guys in the school of the prophets. Well, Gehazi's lying. He takes that stuff. He goes back to his house. He hides it in his house. And then he goes back to Elisha. Verse 25, he went in and stood before his master Elisha. Elisha said, Where have you been, Gehazi? Gehazi said, Your servant didn't go anywhere. Elisha said, Verse 26, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money? Or except clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or men servants and maid servants, nameless leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. And Gehazi went out from Elisha's presence, and he was leprous as whitey snow, and he passed that leprosy on to his relatives, his descendants, all because he wouldn't own up when he was confronted, all because he tried to just keep it hidden. If you back up to Second Samuel, chapter eleven. I think all of us probably know this story. He's the most beloved king still today in all of Israel's history, King David. He's a man that God himself recorded in our Bible as a man after God's own heart. You can't get a better statement made about you than that. And yet chapter 11 of 2 Samuel opens this way in the spring at the time when kings go off to war. David sent joy about with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Big mistake. One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Uriah the Hittite is one of David's mighty men. He's out in the battle where David should have been. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he, spent, he slept with her, and then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. A real life, real life soap opera with a man after God's own heart who failed greatly. He sends for Uriah the Hittite, gives him a leave of absence from the battle, brings him to his palace, serves him a meal, serves him some fermented beverage, And then thinks he's going to go home and be with his wife. But this guy's got more integrity than David at this point in his life. And he's like, my fellow compatriots are out on the battlefield. They're not getting to go home with their spouse. I'm not going home to be with mine. He slept outside the palace. David was told the next day. So the next night, David invited him again. This time, he feeds him a great meal. And he forces him, basically, have another drink. Have another. And what are you going to say? He's the king. No, I insist. Come on. Come on. Have another drink. And he gets him drunk. He gets him drunk. And he thinks, surely he'll go home and be with his wife. But again, he goes and he sleeps outside the palace. And the next day, David is told. So David now has to deepen the plot. You talk about evil. You talk about wicked plotting. Now he sends a message to his general, Joab. And he sends Uriah back to the field and the, the fighting. And he says to General Joab, put Uriah on the front lines When the battle gets the the most heated, the fiercest, then pull back the men but leave Uriah. And just as if David took the enemy's sword himself, he murdered Uriah the Hittite. And you know why he murdered him. Not only did he want to hide this one night stand and this child that was his, he wanted Uriah's wife for himself. And he gave her time to mourn and then he brought her to the palace and she became his wife. And the chapter ends this way. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. You read about David's life. I don't know how long it went on in keeping this thing covered up. Nathan the prophet finally confronted him. Thank God when he was confronted, he'd owned up to it. And God was gracious and merciful. He didn't get up like Achan, even though under the law, that's what should have happened. But he said, the Lord said, the sword will never depart from your house. And he had family problems for the rest of his life. His children. And, and it's not that they can stand before God and say it was my dad's fault. No, 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 no. I don't understand. But still, still, he started the thing rolling. And, and it just, the mysteriousness of the sovereignty of God there and the free will of man. But the sword never left David's house. And you read in the Psalms that he wrote in this time in his life, he had severe back pain. He, he had physical issues. He was emotionally distraught. Spiritually, he had no joy. He would write in one of those psalms, restoring to me the joy of thy salvation. He had no witness. After he repented, he said, now I'll teach transgressors your ways. He had no witness. Here's a man after God's own heart that failed miserably and then kept it hidden. And it cost him greatly and it cost his family greatly. It didn't have to happen. He could have been forgiven and restored. Oh yeah, there would have still been scars, but they would not have been not as been as deep, not not as bad, not as bad. You get in the New Testament and you talk about a church to be a part of. I mean the early church in Jerusalem after Jesus was resurrected, the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up, 3000 people get saved in one day. One day. And man, they are serious about the Lord too because it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. It says the apostles were teaching the Word of God daily and they were also doing miracles. I mean, it, it was, what, a, what a church to be a part of. People were being led by the Lord to sell a field or sell a house they didn't really need. And they came and they brought the money to the apostles. And the apostles distributed it to anybody who had need. And for a period of time, for a period of time, didn't last forever. But for a period of time, that early church, it says this. There were no needy persons among them. Everybody. I mean, you talk about a church to be a part of. Don't you think if you're a part of a church like that, it would help you to not not let sin get a hold of you? You would think so. But here's what Acts chapter 5 says. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it? Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept back for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. But his wife didn't hear right away. She comes in, Peter asks her the same question. She answered the same way. She fell down and died. And it says again, in great fear, verse eleven sees the whole church and all who heard about these events. God's serious <laughs> about people hiding sin. It really is. Cost Ananias and Sapphira their very lives. Now I got a question as we put the landing gear down. And you know how long it takes to land the plane after they put the landing gear down. <laughs> Why? How? How can you read about people like David, a man after God's own heart, failing like he did? How can you read about a couple in, 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 the time, in the greatest time in the church's history, Ananias and Sapphira? Why? Why? Here's why. We have a natural love for darkness instead of light. Every one of us, we have a natural love for darkness instead of light. One of the reasons is, hey, darkness can be a lot of fun. Uh, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. A lot of things we do in darkness, you get a lot of pleasure out of it. that's That's one of the reasons we don't want to give it up. We don't want to come clean. Because if we come clean, that means we're saying, I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give this up. Exposure is uncomfortable. That's another reason it's not easy to come clean. It's uncomfortable. I mean, it's uncomfortable if we're just willing to confess it. It's really uncomfortable if we get caught. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The truth is really known about our life. There's also a fear of condemnation. Now, catch this. People, including Christians, okay? I'm talking about Christians who love the Lord. Sometimes won't forgive us. And sometimes will condemn us. But God, if we really are sincere, we'll really come clean. Listen, don't you love this verse? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Don't you love the stories of the woman caught in adultery? And they say to Jesus, the law says this woman should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus knew what was going on. He wouldn't even risk He turned and wrote in the ground. And eventually, one by one, little by little, from the older ones to the younger ones, they began to leave. Because Jesus said, okay, whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Why the older ones leave first? Because they got more. They got more of a track record. I hope you realize this. If you haven't come to realize this, sin does nothing good for us. Nothing. It's deceitful. It lies to us. Hebrews 3.13 says, Encourage one another daily as long as it's called a day, so that no one may, may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It lies. It's a lie. The end of sin is not love, joy, peace, hope. No, the end of sin is death. It robs us, destroys our lives. Nothing good about sin does nothing good for us. Even though we may enjoy it, it does nothing good for us. Some people are blind to their sin, some people make excuses for their sin. I could go story after story of that. King Saul, the first king of the Old Testament, under he, he was confronted and he kept making excuses. What did Adam do? The woman you gave me. Just make excuses. Well if I, if my environment, is my if my upbringing, it's my parents. Get a come on. Come on. Get get right before God and stop making the excuses and just come before the Lord. Listen, when David finally came before the Lord about his sin with Bathsheba, he said, against you and you only have I sinned. Now you think about that. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against their whole family. He sinned against the people of Israel as their king. But ultimately he said, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Don't make excuses. Stop it. And we're in a, man, we're in a victim culture, aren't we? Everybody's a victim. Well, it's not my fault. It is your fault. It's all of our fault. Gosh, you got me. I didn't get this worked up last night. You must really need it. You must really need being yelled at. Hey, hey, nobody can hide anything from God. Say this with me. Come on. Come on. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You know what everything means in the Hebrew? Everything. (laughs) All sin will be ultimately exposed before God. Jesus said, what you've said in the closet will be shouted on the rooftop. All sin will ultimately be exposed. Numbers 32, it's a little statement. You may be sure your sin will find you out. Just a matter of time. Nobody, listen. OJ did not get away with it. Nobody's getting away with anything. Nobody. You may be sure your sin will find you out. It's just a matter of time. Because God knows. And God's the ultimate one. <laughs> Here's, I love being able to end this way. Because that's our text, 1 John. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what God wants to do. Every single one of us here today. I don't know what you came in with. I don't know what you're hiding. But if you're willing to confess it, If you're willing to repent, if you're willing to come clean, God is blessing for you. God is blessing for us. He wants to fill us with joy. He wants to fill us with peace. He wants us to walk in the light. He wants us to be able to walk with a clear conscience, nothing to hide from God and from one another. It's a great way to live. Paul said, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. God wants to forgive. One more verse. Come on, say this one with me. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that great?
0: We're so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. The Living Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're a group of believers who seek to live and love just like Jesus did. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Pray that God would touch each listener with His love and open their hearts to the truth of His Word. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Pastor Danny will continue his study in 1 John next time, so we hope you'll join us again. But in the meantime, we encourage you to read through 1 John on your own and ask the Lord to reveal who he is. People from every generation have struggled to understand who God is fully, but when you spend time in his word, you begin to understand his heart. This is what the apostle John understands and was so diligent to write about. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Fellowship as you dive into your relationship with Jesus. For service times, directions, and more, visit ccfstpete.church. That website once more is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for tuning in as we teach the Word to reach the world. Join Pastor Danny next time for more from 1 John, right here on The Living Word.